Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. We had a powerful marriage conference this weekend. It was so awesome. And just so y'all know, Pastor, Pastor Jimmy, he's worldwide ministry. You guys know him, you guys love him, but he's also an overseer to Celebration Church. He has authority in this house and we are always pleased to have him here. So come on, put your hands together. Give it up for Pastor Jimmy, we're so glad he's here. Good morning, good morning. You guys can take your seat. You are safe. If I go back out and come back in, will y'all do that again? Because I like that a lot. Thank you all so much. I love being here. I love your pastor and Carrie. What precious, precious people. They're my dear friends, and uh, they're the same people back there as they are out here. They're just wonderful, godly people. And uh, I, love, I love Jacksonville because this is kind of a golf mecca. Did you know that? That means it's very anointed here. That's what that means. But Pastor Stovall has been telling me what's been happening at the church. It's phenomenal. Just, you know, what the Lord did with him and just the vision that he saw and the impartation he received. But you see the fruit of it here. You see what God is doing. He's doing something special. When Pastor Stovall was telling me about, you know, all that was going on here, I was praying about the word to bring, and uh, I had an experience uh, not, not the same as Pastor Stovall's, but I was at a service. It was a, pre, it was a prophetic service. And Pastor Robert Morris, it was uh, Pastor Robert Morris and me, and we were up on the platform, and it was a prophetic time. And uh, Pastor Robert turned to me, and he said, do you have any prophetic words that you want to bring? Because it was kind of a, a time that we were doing that. And I said, no, I don't. And uh, the Lord said, yeah, you do, actually. And he downloaded this message that I'm about to bring to you like in one second. And it was, I had never thought about it. I had never considered what I'm about to say to you. I, I had never even considered it on the level that I'm about to bring it. So I turned to Pastor Robert and I said, you know, actually I do have a word. And he said, well, is it a word for everybody or is it just a word for like, you know, a few people? And I said, well, I think it's maybe for 15 or 20 people. There were a 1,000 people in that service. So I said, yeah, maybe 15 or 20 or something like that. I brought the word, and I said at the end of the word, well, if anyone wants a prayer, wants to be prayed for, considering this word, just stand up and I'll pray for you. Every single person stood up. And um, in the first service, every single person stood up. And you'll see why I began to talk about this, why this affects all of us. But this message is called the power of a bloodline blessing. I want to talk to you about your bloodline. I want to talk to you about your physical bloodline, the family that you came from, and I want to talk to you about your spiritual bloodline. And this is Genesis 17. Now, you remember that God had commanded Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of, eat, good, of, the knowledge of good and evil, and they did. And he cursed them. And uh, the world became utterly wicked in three chapters in the Bible from Genesis 3 where God cursed Adam and Eve to Genesis 6, it says that God regretted that he had made man on the earth. And so eight people, Noah and seven of his family members, were taken through the ark, and they survived the flood, and they began then a new uh, race of people. And shortly thereafter, Abraham was on the earth, and God pronounced a blessing, the opposite of what he had done with Adam and Eve. God came to Abraham, began the Jewish race, 
And in Genesis 17, here were the words that God spoke over Abraham. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. The Jews are still in covenant with God. For an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And I will give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger in all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. I have news for the United Nations. That land still belongs to the Jews. It's an everlasting possession. Can a Jew be saved without receiving Jesus? No, but they're still special by covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham, and he came to him, and he made over him a genetic bloodline covenant. And he said, I'm making a covenant. The word covenant means to cut. It means a sacrificial, permanent relationship. And there's always blood related to a covenant. And so God comes and he makes a covenant with Abraham and he said, I'm going to be your God to you and to all your generations and I'm giving you this land that you're on as an everlasting possession. Okay, so, so he blesses him and it's a genetic blessing. You say, well, what is the proof of this blessing? Well, the Jewish people. The Jewish people are, except for believers, they're the most blessed people in the world today. Let me give you an example of this. The Nobel Peace Prize began in the year 1901. Since 1901, 193 of the 855 recipients have been Jewish. In other words, 22% of Nobel Prizes have been won by Jews, but they make up two-tenths of 1% of the Earth's population. They make up a tiny, tiny percent of the world's population but they're the greatest scientists in the world, the greatest mathematicians in the world. They uh, dominate the finance industry, the arts in Hollywood. The military of Israel is the most powerful military in that area of the world by far, one of the greatest militaries in the earth, even though you could put the nation of Israel in Lake Michigan with room left over. It's a tiny nation. They are disproportionately blessed. They are disproportionately at the top of every field on the earth. When God said, I'm going to bless you and your descendants after you, even though they're not a perfect people and many of them are not believers, there is no doubt that there is a bloodline blessing on the Jews. And by the way, it's one of the reasons that Hitler hated them and wanted to exterminate them because he knew he couldn't beat them unless he killed them because they were at the top of every industry. So God came to Abraham in the Old Testament and he put a bloodline blessing on him and the Jewish race began, and still that bloodline blessing is present. But here's what Paul says in the New Testament about Abraham and the blessing that was on his life. Galatians 3, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham, there it is, the blessing of Abraham might come on the non-Jews, the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, isn't that interesting? See, a lot of people, you would say, well, why did Jesus die on the cross? He died on the cross to save us from our sins. Well, that's true, but that's not all. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, he died on the cross to save us from our sins and remove the curse of sin. Well, that's true, but that's not all. Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins, to remove the curse of sin, and to graft us into the bloodline blessing of Abraham. Woo! 
God put a blessing on Abraham that was genetic, but now it's a spiritual blessing that applies to the non-Jews as well as the Jews. And you say, well, wait, wait just a minute. Well, what is, what is the blessing of Abraham? I mean, if God blessed Abraham, what's the blessing? Here it is, Genesis 24.1. Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Jesus didn't die so you could kind of be blessed. Jesus didn't die so you could mostly be blessed. Jesus died so you could totally be blessed. The Abraham blessing is long life and blessing in every area of your life. Somebody say amen. When your children are born, that's what you want for them, is you want them to live a, a long, happy, blessed life. And when you were born, that's what God the Father wanted for you. He wanted you to live a long, blessed life. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The word peace there is the word shalom. It means the total blessing of God. Blessed in every way. When a Jewish person greets you and they say shalom, what they're saying is may God bless you in every area of your life. Peace in the Jewish language is not the absence of conflict. Peace in the Jewish language is the presence of God's blessing on your entire life. Shalom. Well, that's good news, right? It's good news that that blessing is now available to the non-Jews. The bad news is many of the Gentiles, many of the believers in Christ are carrying a bloodline curse that has never been broken and they're waiting on the curse to come. I don't know if you remember, because this is, you know, someone my age, uh, David Cassidy was on the Partridge family. That's how he got famous. And he now has dementia. And when he was diagnosed with dementia, he said, oh, I knew it was coming. All my family has it. All of his life, he was waiting on a curse, waiting for something bad to hit him. Cancer, blindness, heart disease, mental problems. Deafness, blood diseases, MS, MD, diabetes, obesity, arthritis, premature death, poverty, many other tragedies. There are many people, there are many believers who live their entire lives like with a target on their chest waiting for the curse to come. Your bloodline, many of you have been to the doctor and they say in your bloodline there is this and this and this and this. And so we're sitting there waiting for this to happen. Uh, there's an article that I read about a disease called syndactyly. It's a disease where you're born with your fingers fused together. And this is a heartbreaking story in this, this family. They call it their family curse, a rare congenital deformity called syndactyly, in which the thumb and index finger are fused together on one or both hands. Ten members of an extended clan were affected. And the first question they ask when a baby is born is, how are the baby's hands? Are they normal? Afflicted relatives describe feelings like outcasts in their village, convinced that their strange fingers repulsed everyone they knew, including their affected kin, unaffected kin. One woman told me that she never received a hug from her father. He avoided her because of her fingers. And in that family, they called it their family curse that they would be born. And the first question they asked when a baby was born is, what about their hands? Are they okay? Many, many people, even though they don't have that disease, they have other diseases. My doctor, at one point in time, my dad passed away about nine years ago. My mom is still alive. And at one point in time, we uh, had the same doctor. 
my brothers and I, my mother and dad, we had the same doctor. And I would go to the doctor, and he knew all my family history. And he would say, well, you know, Jimmy, your, your bloodline and your family bloodline, you've got cancer. My mother and father have had seven cancers between them. Uh, I am the only member of my family without a blood disease. My dad died of leukemia. My brother has uh, a form of blood cancer. And both my other brother, my older brother, oldest brother, and my mother have blood clots and blood disease. My, my doctor is a good doctor. We also have Alzheimer's in our family. In other words, we have a, we have a polluted bloodline, and so do you. Your family, we have, we have bad blood. That's our problem. And the doctor would sit there, and he's a good doctor. And he would say, Jimmy, you've got to be ready for this and this and this, and you've got to watch this and this. And I didn't, I didn't correct him because he was a sweet man. He was just trying to be a good doctor. But when he was talking, I was thinking, oh, you must think I'm of the Evans bloodline. No, no, I'm of the bloodline of Abraham. And I, I love doctors, I appreciate doctors, but the great physician is going to tell me my future. And my future was not decided by a human being. My future was decided by Jesus Christ. And he came and died so that my sins could be forgiven, the curse of sin could be broken, and I could be grafted in to the bloodline of Abraham. And he lived a long life, and he was well off in every way. And that is my birthright in Jesus Christ. I saw a woman on TV, uh, and she was an attractive, about a 40-year-old woman. And she was telling a story. Now, if you would have had the volume turned off on the TV, you would have just, you know, seen an attractive woman talking to this interviewer. But when you turned the volume on, here's what you would have heard. She said, my grandmother died of breast cancer. My mother and all my aunts died of breast cancer. All my sisters died of breast cancer. And I've got two daughters. She said, in my family, we don't call them breasts. We call them bombs because we're just waiting for them to go off and kill us. Angelina Jolie, pretty actress. She had a preemptive double mastectomy for the same reason. Many people are just waiting, waiting for the curse. They're, it's like they have a target on their chest, and, they're, and they have been told, you'll, you'll probably get this, and it'll probably kill you. Have a good day. And you're just waiting, and you wonder about your children. Had a man in Amarillo in my church. Uh, to describe this man, he was just the most proper, intelligent person, kind of too much so, kind of too much so. And he was a nice man, a godly man, but he was just extremely proper. Uh, he acted like a kind of a professor or an ambassador. He was just very well-spoken, very polite, uh, very formal. And I preached a message one day, and he, uh, he came up on the platform afterwards. He just walked up on the platform, and I turned, and it was unusual for him to do that. And I turned, and he got right up in my face. He said, did you know that insanity runs in my family? And I thought, especially not you. I did not know that. Some people could tell me that, and I say, I can see that. And <laughs> not him. You know, when he said that, what I thought was, that's why you act so proper, because you don't want to act crazy. 
he feared insanity. Here's what he said. I'm worried about my son. I think every parent here would say it. Give it to me, but not my children. And even if I was born without it, and even if I got by without it, you still worry about your kids. Let me tell you something good about the bloodline blessing of Abraham. It's for you, your children, and your grandchildren. It's a bloodline. I want a new bloodline. I want a new bloodline, not just for me, but my children and grandchildren and my descendants. I want a blessed bloodline. I want all the pollution solved and taken care of and broken. And I want blessing to a thousand generations. I was, we were in a presbytery service, a presbytery service, and Pastor Stovall and I have been talking about this. It's, uh, it's that service I was telling you about with Pastor Robert. It was a presbytery service, and we pray over our leaders, and then there's a time when we uh, just get words for the congregation. They call words in season. I'll tell you about two words. One word, there's a woman, and, and her and her husband were being prayed for. They were leaders in the church, and this was in Amarillo and uh, where I pastored. And so they were being prayed over by these presbyters, these leaders that were just hearing God and speaking over them. And I was not one of them. I was just observing, but I was up on the platform. And as they were being prayed for, I saw the Lord walk up and take this woman by her head and began to speak to her. And I could just see it. The Lord just walked up and grabbed her by her face and just began to speak to her. And the Lord said, I want you to walk up. I want you to grab her by her face. And I want you to say what I tell you to say. And I said, no, that's weird. That you don't grab women by their faces. It messes up their makeup and they get mean. And you don't, Lord, you don't. He said, I have to tell the Lord sometimes what to do, you know. So uh, I said, no. And the Lord never says, Jimmy, you're right. Uh, I've waited for him to say that. So when you're doing a presbytery and you say no to the Lord, that you're not going to get another word. He, he just stays right there. So I just thought, oh, this is so awkward. So um, I walked up to her and I said, you mind if I touch your face? And her husband was there and she looked at him like, he is strange, honey. And, and watch him. So she said, no, that's fine. And I grabbed her face and I said, now you come out of a generations of spiritual darkness. But you broke out. You took a stand for the Lord. And here's what the Lord says to you. It will never happen to you and your children. So... So I said that to her. I didn't know what it meant, though. I mean, it, it was, a, it was, it was you know, a good word, obviously. I didn't know what it meant. So when the service was over, her, they came and found me. And she walked up to me with her husband, and she said, do you want me to tell you what you said? And I said, would you please? First of all, I thought she might slap me for grabbing her face. And she was real sweet, and she said, you want me to tell you what you said? And I said, what? She said, I come out of generations of occultism. And there has never been a firstborn male child in our entire family history lived past the age of 18. And my son is 17. And she said, and I was walking in the park last week, and the devil came to me and said, that boy is mine, and I'm taking him before he turns 18. And she said, we have been warring over the life of our son. 
and you walked up and grabbed my face and said, it will never happen to you and your children. That boy is in his 20s right now, and he's a blessed young man. The devil couldn't have him. Think about living in that family and having a boy. And every birthday isn't a blessing. It's one step closer to death. In the generations of their family, they had never had a male, a firstborn male child live past 18. I'll tell you another story very quickly. Uh, we were in a presbytery service, and we had given some words to some staff people, some leaders in the church. And now we were giving words in season. There were about 400 people there. This was at Gateway when Gateway started. And there were about 400 people there, and I was looking out, and I saw just a real, you know, nice-looking young girl about 30 years old. And I could see her out in the congregation, and the Lord said, I want you to give her a word. And I said, okay. And this is on a Monday night. This is on a Monday night. And he said, she's a witch. Her mother's a witch. Her grandmother's a witch, and I'm going to set her free tonight. And I said, I'm not saying that to her. You know, I've, whoa. Oh, she's here on Monday night, Lord. She's not a witch. Witches don't come to church on Monday night, Lord. I have to tell the Lord this kind of stuff all the time. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. Lord said, you tell her what I told you to tell her. And I thought, oh, Jesus, please. In the nicest way I could, I said, young lady, I've got a word for you. In the nicest way I could, I told her she is a witch. I was so nice about it, Pastor Stovall. I was nice. And your mother's a witch and your grandmother's a witch. <laughs> On Monday night, the church. So after the service was over, she came and found me. She said, I'm a witch. My mother's a witch. My grandmother's a witch. And that young man I brought is a Satanist, and he came tonight to see if there was any power in God. And they both got saved. And I said, Lord, I told you she was a witch. Don't tell me my God isn't real. There are people who choose not to have children simply because they don't want to pass the curse on. And you know that's the devil's end game is to destroy your family. What an, what an ultimate end game. Then we would get so discouraged that we would just say, I don't want, I don't want this polluted blood to go on one more generation. Probably the most cursed family, the most well-known cursed family in American history is the Kennedys. John Kennedy was our president. Of course, he was assassinated. His brother was assassinated. His other brother, Ted, is Chappaquiddick. For those of you who've seen what's on at the movies recently, a girl was killed because of him and the family covered it up. The original Kennedy of the Kennedy clan was Patrick Kennedy, and he left Ireland because of the... the the uh, famine in Ireland. He was a thief, a murderer. He was immoral. He was corrupt, and he also hated the Jews. His son, Joe Kennedy, was John Kennedy's father, and Joe Kennedy was very, very wealthy. He was also the ambassador to the United Kingdom during World War II, and uh, he sided with Hitler. He hated the Jews. He hated the Jews in America. He hated the Jews in Germany, 
And uh, he believed that Hitler was enlightened in what he was doing. And he did not want to join the Allied forces against Hitler. He wanted to do business with Hitler and make money. And it ruined him politically, and that's why he spent a fortune on getting his children, his sons, into public office to be presidents and, and all the things that they were. There's a book that's called The Kennedy Curse, and there's a part in the book that is all the things, that tragedies that have happened to the Kennedy family. It is, it's, they know they were cursed. They, they say they were cursed. All the, all the sins of the Kennedy family. But, but see, that's the problem with all of our blood. We all have sin in our blood. My family came from Wales. I'm Welsh. And uh, we also came to America because of the famine that was in Wales. And we went to Tennessee. Um, and, and then we went to Texas. You say, well, why did you leave Tennessee? My great-grandfather was a bootlegger. And he had to flee Tennessee in the middle of the night to keep him being arrested. We have horse thieves in our family. You name it, we have it in our family. I think I'm the first preacher ever in my family. We have polluted blood. The Kennedys are just an example of how a curse can come on a family because of sin. So what's the answer? If we all have polluted blood, but we know that Abraham's blessing is available, what's the answer? The first is we have to believe by faith what the Bible says. Let me read it one more time. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. The first thing we have to do is say this. Jesus didn't just die to forgive the sins of the world. He died to forgive my sins. He didn't just die to break the curse of sin. He died to break the curse of sin over my life. He didn't just die so that the uh, blessing of Abraham could come to the Gentiles. He died so the blessing of Abraham could come to me. It's mine by faith. The blessing of Abraham is mine. The second thing we have to do is repent of our sins before the Lord and make Jesus the Lord of our life. Now, we're all imperfect people. That, that's just a given. And we're all saved by grace. But there are sins that we can have in our life that God simply cannot bless. And let me give you a few examples here. And again, we're saved by grace. So we're all saved by grace. But there are some sins that we have to deal with in our lives. Let me begin with anti-Semitism. Hitler hated the Jews because he was jealous of them. Anti-Semitism is on the rise all over the world right now. On college campuses in the United States, in France, in Poland, in Europe, Jews are having to leave. And by the way, this is a sign of the return of Jesus Christ. Anti-Semitism is a spirit. Hitler hated the Jews, and his inspiration was Martin Luther. We know Martin Luther is the person who stood up against the Catholic Church and started the Protestant Reformation. And there were many good things that he did, but he despised the Jews. He called them Christ killers. And anti-Semitism means hatred of the Jews. It's rampant in the church today. Much of the church believes in replacement theology. After the Jews were defeated in AD 70 and they were scattered to the four corners of the world, the church got this idea that Israel's gone and now we're, all of the references to Israel in the Bible now refer to the church. The problem is Israel came back. 
And the reason they came back is it was prophesied that in the last days, I will again for the second time take my people from around the world and bring them back to the mountains of Israel. Jesus said, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by non-Jews until the time of the non-Jews is fulfilled. That happened in 1967 during the Six-Day War. Next month, on the 14th of May, we will celebrate the 70th anniversary of Israel's return as a nation. They were born in one day, according to Bible prophecy, one day by a vote of the United Nations. And 70 is a very significant number. Jesus said the generation that sees these things happen will see all things fulfilled. Jesus said all the end time prophecy will be fulfilled in one generation. If you saw it start, you're going to see it end. And the Bible says the days of a man are 70 years. Or by reason of strength, they're 80 years. So I'm not predicting that Jesus is coming in May. All I'm saying is God predicted that his people would be come back to Israel. And they're back there. And we have not replaced Israel. And we are the church. We're blessed. We're the bride of Christ. We're second to no one spiritually. But I say God bless the Jews. God bless the Jews. And I want to say this related to anti-Semitism in the church. How could any sane Christian be anti-Semitic when our Savior is a Jew? I didn't say he was a Jew. I said he is a Jew. Pastor Stovall saw him just a few weeks ago. He's a Jew, right? Pastor Stovall, he's a Jew. Mary, his mother's a Jew. Your book, the Bible there, is 100% written by Jews. There's not one Gentile word in the Bible uh, uh, that's written there. And so the other thing is the church began as 100% Jewish, and they let us in the club. It just doesn't make any sense. And so God said to Abraham, I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you. That's still true today. You can't find a nation on earth that's blessed who curses the Jews. Rebellion to authority is another thing. We have to understand that when we come to Jesus, Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The Lord means master. It simply means I don't run my own life anymore. Jesus runs my life. Well, we're not perfect people. None of us are. I'm not a perfect person. But there's a sincerity when we come to Jesus that says, Lord, I'm not making my own decisions anymore. Hebrews says, Hebrews 6 says, that the elementary principles of the faith are, number one, repentance from dead works, and two, faith toward God. You know what a dead work is? Anything we do without God. God energizes what he initiates. And if it's your baby, he won't kiss it because it looks like you. You can take all your dead works before God and ask him to bless them. He won't. But if he initiates it, he'll energize it. If it's his baby, he'll send it to college and raise it. Before we make decisions, we pray. Before we decide to do something, we pray. And we go to God and say, God, I need, I need, to, need you to give me direction. We're under authority. The Antichrist in the Bible in 2 Thessalonians 2 is called the lawless one. He's a rebel. And lawless there doesn't mean that he speeds and doesn't pay his taxes. Lawless is the word anomia. It means rebellion against the word of God and the lordship of Christ. The Antichrist will be the living embodiment of a rebel. And that's the spirit of our age, isn't it? Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary. And when he turned 13, a Jewish boy becomes a man when he's 13. 
I had a friend that became, uh, when he turned 13, I didn't know what a Jew was. All I knew is when he turned 13, he got $1,300 from his relatives. I converted at that point. Uh, I thought it was worth it. Um, but a Jewish boy becomes a man when he's 13 years old. So when Jesus turned 13, his uh, parents, his relatives went to the, uh, Jew, the, to the, to the uh, feast in Jerusalem, and Jesus stayed back. You remember the story in the Bible. He just thought, well, I'm a man. He didn't do it because he was rebelling. Um, he just thought, I'm a man now, and I'm going to be about my father's business. So he was in the temple there talking to the priest. And Mary, two or three days journey uh, down the road, they figured out Jesus wasn't there. They came back frantic. And finally, Mary found him in the temple, and she came and said, honey, son, what are you doing? And at 13 years old, anybody who has a 13-year-old understands, he said, I, I must be about my father's business. Well, he wasn't in rebellion, but he was wrong. The son of God was wrong. I don't know if she grabbed him by the ear, but she took him home for 17 years. He thought at 13 years old that he was ready, but he wasn't. And he was submitted to his mother until he was 30 years old. At the wedding of Cana of Galilee, he was with his mother, and they ran out of wine. And Mary turned to Jesus and said, son, they've run out of wine. Now, you make groceries at home. Go ahead and make some here. That's my interpretation. You know, I'm sure when their pets died, he resurrected them. They never lost a pet. That's my version. So it was handy to have Jesus around. So Jesus, they ran out of wine, and she said, son, your ministry just started. And he turned to her and said, woman, what do I have to do with you? And that's the, the modern vernacular be, mom, get off my back. She told him, your ministry won't start. She told him, your ministry will start. Jesus was submitted to human authority all of his life. And after he went into the ministry, he was submitted to God the Father. Because in John 5, he said, I do nothing unless I see my Father doing it. God blesses us when we're under authority. But rebellion is the spirit of our age. We, need to, we have to deal with that. And let me say this. I'm not just saying this to you. I'm saying this to talk about your family history. Some of you, you might not see these things in yourself, but you see them in your family history. The occult. Um, is a pastor, and God forgives anything. If you've been dabbling in the occult, God loves you, he'll forgive you. But it's so dangerous. I've seen so many people whose lives have been destroyed and nightmares and suicide and uh, sicknesses and all kinds of mental and physical and emotional problems. Let me tell you, the devil's a liar and he never, he never fulfills a promise. And the only power in the occult is the power to kill and the power to deceive. Immorality, which is rampant in the world today, and I want to read you this scripture. We all struggle with sin. Every single one of us struggle with sin. That's not a problem with Jesus. Hebrews 4 says, Jesus, our high priest, was tempted in all manners like we are, yet without sin. When you go to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm tempted like this, he knows exactly. He was tempted in the same way. We have a merciful high priest. He's gracious. And if you're struggling with sin, he has no problem with that. It's when you're not struggling that he has a problem. It's when you wake up one day and say, I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to make it normal. And I'm going to act like it's okay. That's, that's when Jesus has a problem. This is Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church at Thyatira, write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. 
I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to uh, teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. So when we're struggling with sexual immorality, what do we do? Just take it before Jesus. He's not grossed out by that. There's nothing in your life that he doesn't care about. If you're dealing with pornography, if you're dealing with, with temptation, whatever you're dealing with, he knows it anyway. His throne is a throne of grace. I, I've talked to Jesus my entire, I've been saved for almost 45 years. I talked to Jesus about those things. He's the most gracious person I've ever known. And I say, Lord, I'm dealing with this. I'm tempted by this. I'm struggling with this. I did this. As long as I keep it before him, it's in the light. He's not looking for for perfection. He's looking for sincerity. And as long as I'm talking to him, I'm not trying to hide it from him. I'm not acting like it's okay. As long as I'm talking to him and asking him for grace and strength and, and forgiveness, he's all good. I don't have to be perfect. It's when I stop talking. Jezebel, not only was she in sexual immorality, she came into church and taught people how to do it. And our sweet, precious Jesus said, I'm going to put a generational curse on her. I'm going to throw her into a sick bed, and I'm going to kill her children. And all the churches will know that I'm he who searches the minds and hearts. And again, I want to say it. Our God is a forgiving God. If you're struggling with a sin, join the club. We all are. All of us are. But we have to keep it before Jesus. And our world is a sexually immoral world. Somebody say amen. And we deal with the same temptations. We have all the problems that the world has. We just have a different solution. Let me read one more scripture, and I'm going to pray for you. Hate and unforgiveness. This is another thing that we just can't have in our lives. This is Jesus telling a a story. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him $3 billion. That's how much that is. A talent was worth $300,000. He owed him 10,000 times $300,000, which is $3 billion. He was not able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. The master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarii was one day's wage for a laborer. A hundred denarii was a third of a year's salary. Let's say it was $20,000. He had just been forgiven $3 billion. He now finds one of his fellow servants who owes him $20,000. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. His fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servant saw what he had done, 
they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Unforgiveness is torment. You, you can't keep torment off of unforgiveness. It is medically proven mentally, physically, and emotionally. People who hate and have unforgiveness have ill health. It'll Ill, Ill, Ill drive you crazy. It causes all kinds of physical problems, all kinds of emotional problems, all kinds of digestive problems. Jesus said, because you won't forgive your fellow servant, I'm going to turn you over to the torturers. My, and then, then he makes it global. And he says, my father will do this to everyone who will not forgive their brother their trespasses from their heart. Let me say this. God will make you a deal. He'll give you as much grace as you'll give away. And some people would say, Jimmy, you just don't know what people have done to me. Well, okay, I understand. Let me say, let me say this now. Uh, our sins killed the most righteous man in the history of the world. Jesus, Jesus wasn't killed by the Jews or the Romans. Jesus was killed by you. Jesus was killed by me. My sins put him there. You say, what's the life of Jesus worth? Well, let's just say it's worth $3 billion. And we asked Jesus to forgive us for putting him on the cross. And he said, I will. Totally forgiven. And then we go find someone who's done something to us, and we demand justice. We want a river of blessing to flow into our lives, but we become a dam and demand justice. Justice, bitterness is a justice spirit that will not go forward until it gets what it wants. You can't have mercy on one hand and justice on the other. And Jesus said, my father, my father's going to do this now if you don't forgive. Here's, here's what I'm saying to us. Look at the hate in the world today. Look, maybe in your family. Think of the Hatfields and McCoys. These, these two men that hated each other and their families hated each other. And just the hate, the hate that's in the world today. The racism that's in the world today. All that's in the world today is sin. It's sin. It has to be, it has to be confessed and repented of. And we don't have to be perfect. We just have to be sincere. And here's the third thing that we do, and this is the prayer that I'm going to pray for you in just a second. By faith, renounce the curse of your bloodline and receive the blessing of the, of the bloodline of Abraham. We're going to pray a prayer here in just a minute, and we're just going to believe by faith that the bloodline of Abraham is ours. We are going to just simply confess any sin between us and God, and it may be a family sin. It may just be, God, I renounce the anti-Semitism of my family. I renounce the hatred of my family. I renounce the immorality of my family. It may be mine, but it may be my family. And then we're going to pray, and here's what we're going to do. You're going to transfer your family bloodline to the bloodline of Abraham. You have lived your last day under a cursed bloodline. You have lived your last day under a polluted bloodline. The target, the target is coming off of your chest. And from this day forward, you're not expecting curses. You're expecting blessings. 
It's not what happened to grandma and grandpa and mom and dad that you're waiting on. It's what happened to Abraham that you're waiting on. He was well old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed him in all things. So if you want to pray this prayer, if, you, if this is something that you want for yourself and for your family, I want you to stand and we're going to pray. And we're going to believe that our bloodline is going to be changed right now. Lord, we believe, Jesus, we believe that you came to forgive us of all of our sins, to break the curse of sin, and to return the full blessing of Abraham to the Gentiles. That we could now have the blessing of Abraham as non-Jews. By our faith in Jesus Christ, we can have that blessing. We absolutely believe that that's true for us right now. Now, Lord, we, we repent we renounce sin from our family and from our lives. We renounce the sin of anti-Semitism and racism. It is a sin. It is wrong. We are all your children. We are all the descendants of Adam and Eve, and we say we're brothers and sisters. And we accept all races and all people that you have created. We repent, God, of immorality. We repent of rebellion. We repent of any association that we've had with the deeds of darkness and the occult. We repent of hate and unforgiveness, Lord, of just harboring grudges and being bitter. And, Lord, we say right now, forgive us by the blood of Jesus. Forgive us by the blood of Jesus, Lord. We come before you. We confess that you're Lord of our lives, of our relationships, of our mouth, of our minds, of our money of everything in our life, of our morals and our sexuality. Jesus, we make you the Lord of our lives. And Lord, we're going to struggle in, your, in front of you. We're not going to hide from you. We're going to come to you, Lord. And we're struggling. We're going to struggle in your presence. We're going to trust you for grace and mercy. We declare we are no longer of our family bloodline. We bless our family. We love our family. We're thankful for our family. But this is a polluted bloodline full of sin and curses. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more heart disease. There will be no more brain disease and insanity and dementia and Alzheimer's. There will be no more skin disease, no more abdominal disease, no more muscular diseases, no more neurological problems. We renounce that in the name of Jesus. Premature death, we renounce you in the name of Jesus. Every curse of our family bloodline, we break it in the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus. And from this day forward, we declare we are of the bloodline of Abraham. Right now, Lord, we declare that we are tapped into the bloodline of Abraham. That the genetic blessing that you put on Abraham is now available to the non-Jews by our faith in Jesus Christ. And I speak blessing, I speak prosperity, I speak health, I speak fertility, I speak prosperity, favor, promotion, blessing in their lying down, blessing in their rising up, blessing in their going out, blessing in their coming in. I declare the blessing, the full blessing of Almighty God, the peace that was on you, Jesus. You took our chastisement so we could have the shalom blessing of God. And I speak the shalom blessing of God over every man, woman, and child now in Jesus' name. And somebody said, yeah. amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. 
For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.